friends. Welcome back to another episode of Off Mic, Off the Record. Joining me this week is, oh God, I don't want to cuss, Buck Fuffalo. You did it. I'm proud of you. I got it right. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, so this name, I'm an, I'm an older gentleman, so I remember okay. around about 92, 93-ish when the Cowboys were going to play the <laughs> Buffalo Bills. That's right, yeah. So was that the inspiration? No, but it's funny you say that because I got to go to a few of those games back in the day. A, a friend of mine, his dad owned a, a pecan company, and somehow they just had a bunch of money, and they would get really good seats. So we'd get to sit. I'm like 13 or something and sitting seven rows back from the Dallas Cowboys when they were winning all the Super Bowls, and they had those shirts. It was like Buck Buffalo. And I so I kind of do remember that stuff, and uh, – and then they also I saw them play the Eagles and they had one kind of similar, but they just went ahead and put the whole F word on it. You fuck the mean? Eagles. Yeah. Exactly. We can say fuck on here. It's okay. Hey, yeah. So I mean um, but I also went to school one year in Cross Plains High School and their their mascots the Buffaloes and I heard like their rival said it and they were like five miles away. They were basically the same town, rising star. Okay. And they'd be like, Oh, Cross Plains Buck Buffaloes and I thought it was hilarious. It know? is. Yeah. So but there was, if you're asking how I got the name, I, it's a, this is, since it's a podcast, I guess I can say it. Sure. But I'm, uh, I'm part Cherokee, and uh, so I feel like I can still kind of get away with this. But um, whenever I was going to school at Tarleton, um, we hauled hay and worked our asses off all day yeah. with a bunch of redneck guys and all this stuff. And my buddy Lee Wayne Wheeler, big old tall, almost like seven-foot redneck, we're all drinking beers after we get done, and I had a little – Somehow I had like a little joint and lit it up to smoke with everybody. And and uh, he was like, God damn, you're proof Indians fuck Buffalo. Do you know that? And so that kind of, <laughs> and then I'm playing dumb songs and it just kind of, kind of oh, stuck. Buck, Buffalo. Yeah. Buck. You know, so yeah. And uh, that's kind of how that came about. I love it. I didn't ever think that I would actually have to legally write that with and register it with the IRS and, you know, here you are, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, so, uh, interesting enough, just figured that I didn't know that you had some heritage behind you there. Yeah. yeah. Some native heritage. Yeah. Uh, I just finished reading, uh, empire of the summer. Moon. Oh my God. That book is so amazing. Is it not one of the most brilliant rights ever? I love it. And there, and, uh, you know, it makes me every time I go somewhere, especially as much as I get to travel doing this, you know, I'm just like, that's where Quanta Parker was. That's where the whole tank, like all the Comanches were fleeing and fighting. And uh, it's, and now all the names of these, like, you know, colleges or, or uh-huh. towns, you realize where they all got their names from. And, and it's, that book is amazing. It's been about 10 years since I read it, but I, I would highly recommend it to anybody, but yeah, shame on me for just now reading it. Oh heck. But, uh, Oh, so much. I had no clue about, and I'm glad I'm, I'm learning now. Right. Uh, but you're right. A lot of the town names, a lot of phrasing, a lot of vernacular that we think is unique to Texas isn't a Texan thing. No. It's to the people that were here before we were Texas. Right. Which, you know, they talk about a lot of the, right now there's this big cultural appropriation movement. Mm-hmm. And what what we've simulated, you know, and because really we're a hodgepodge culture. Absolutely. And uh, so I think there's a lot of respect like initially even you know whenever they went through all these battles together against each other i mean we were i say like we like the 
the Puritans and the, and the white people, we were the invasive people. We were. You know, and so we came in here and took away everything they've ever known. And uh, and so to have, you know, the respect to call it the name of this, um, you know, it's Comanche, just right down the road here, you know, an hour right. away. They still respected them enough to, like, you know, these, these people fought hard and – and they knew how to live off of this land way before the rest of this culture got here. And uh, so, but it's forgotten a lot of it's forgotten how it came about. Oh yeah. And, it, and it's a generational thing. And I'm not going to say it's just this generation and we generally don't get political on here. This is just, this is a good topic to talk about. It's forgotten because we don't know any better. And I'm not saying that that's a good excuse. Uh, I wish I would have learned a lot that I know now. And I know a little bit, before the history behind it, the true understanding of the cultures and how advanced they were more so than, like you said, the, the, the white people before they came over tenfold more advanced societies, better, better at their government, the way that they related, the way they took care of their people. European people, when they came to the Americas, pretty shitty people. (laughs) Well, that's why they came here in the first place, because they wanted to, you know, get away from all the control that they were getting put under. You know, my other half is Irish, and uh, and so on my mom's side, you know, imagine how if you go and look at that history, how badly oh, the geez. English treated the 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 Irish. It was just insane, and, horrible. I mean, they would go into soccer stadiums over there and like shoot people just just cause. Yeah, and then they controlled them, and it was just insane that the. The amount of control. So they fled, you know, those people fled. You fled oppression. Should try to get away and then, you know, come here and felt like they had freedom and, and took away other people's freedom in doing so. But all that is is just, I mean, that's that's how history goes. And it, the whole debate right now about what is taught in history, you know, I think that's part of it. You're like, oh, I wish I would have known this, you know, and I think that's what I think that's what they're trying to say that are on the other side of it right now. It's like, who's writing the history books? Why aren't we being taught this? You know, like, can you name more than Quanta Parker, Geronimo and sitting bull, you know, not right now. I could not No. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's it, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of how most people are. I'm what about, you know, if you want to go into other different cultures, how many like Hispanic leaders besides Santa Ana, can you name? I can't, you know, you're right. And so it's, it doesn't make it. I mean, obviously, to to those people of that culture, that that's wrong. That's like agree, you know. And there's a we're a diverse culture here, and you know we want to try to be understanding of everybody. And I think sometimes in the arts, we're very empathetic to absolutely, you know, whoever's listening. We want to try to write something relatable um, to to anybody that's listening. And if we don't really know, you know, a whole background, we don't want to leave a whole bunch of people out. We want to be inclusive. It's funny, and yes, I think people who are artistically inclined are more empathetic to and probably have a broader stroke of the things they're interested in, and I think you're absolutely right. We we seek out things. I'm going to say that's a lot of why I started seeking out things, learning about uh, musicians from different heritages and the different types of music and musical influences, because everybody lives in a bubble. That's just fact. Humans, Humans by nature, we live in a bubble. And especially right before we started this talking about the algorithms of the different, the different social medias and sites, 
an algorithm is going to play to what your interests are. So a lot of times those other interests get blocked out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a fact of life. So you, you do have to work to search those things out. And I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to search it out. There's so much shit that I've learned by watching documentaries on things like actual certified documentaries, not, not some just off the cuff documentary, but really understanding, like for me, big, I'm big into Texas history, just truly understanding the reality behind the Alamo, the reality behind the Republic of Texas, the reality behind some of the things that you were taught a surface view of. And maybe the people who taught us didn't have an understanding. They just taught us what they knew. And so when I talk about it being generational, you go back to those generations, you know, when I was going to school in the eighties and nineties, I didn't teachers didn't know any better. Right. And they, they just knew what they knew. And as much as I like to see that search for truth, that search for understanding. And this is as far as I'm going to go political. I think there needs to be an understanding that when you don't know something, you don't know it. Right. But I think uh, what the whole conversation is right now, it's we're because we can like certain things. So we're, we're basically only listening to the things that we like, or we're getting showed that, right. You know, I mean, you know, most people are on their phones, you know, for, I'd, I'd estimate an hour a day, you know, I would guess on their social medias or whatever. So whatever your interests are or the people you're around, their interests are, you're going to be shared that that topic and that view side. And, you know, the more you, you stay in your bubble, the less you're going to hear whatever the people are influenced mm-hmm. by. And, you know, that's in a weird way, uh, I think all that kind of relates to how music is shared and yes. music is listened to and what uh, gets deemed, um, you know, worthy of getting, you know, booked or played or whatever is because of the bubbles that have been created, uh, amongst these circles. Oh, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and I am, I'm a purveyor of sad songs. First and foremost, <laughs> I not saying I don't like happy songs. I tend to just gravitate towards emotionally vested heartbreak, sorrow songs. Not saying that that's the way it always is. Uh, Sunrise by Bingham is one of my favorite songs, and that's not a sad song. That's an extremely happy song. Right. But at the same time, I love Chris Knight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, well, is I mean, I say sad. I mean, they're like just uh, brutal almost, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then that's I'm a story song guy. I like stories. Um, but, yeah, man, music is – Music is a strange mistress in the fact that you're right. It's all regionalism and bubble based because a lot of times you're just going to hear what is played on the radio. And I'm not saying this is not a knock on radio. This is not a knock on anything because all of it serves a purpose and there's a greater good involved. But yeah, if you don't ever get to hear something different, you won't know whether you like it or not. Some of the greatest music that I have found that I enjoy now was introduced to me by somebody who might have been a friendly stranger that I just met. Hey, man, have you ever heard of this? And I'm like, what is that? Uh And because I've taken time to write down and go and listen to it and form my own opinion, I think I've been able to broaden my scope of what I like. Well, I think the fact that you're doing a podcast already makes your audience active listeners. So... 
there could be people on your podcast that that your listeners may not have ever heard of before, but now because they're in this, they may be, you know, they're going to have some people check out their music now. I hope so. Yes. And that's, and then vice versa, you know, there could be, uh, all followers of those artists that do your podcast. And now it kind of branches out where everybody gets to explore a little bit more, but you have to hope, you know, there's a, I think there's like a, a tipping point for people Cause you, you know, those people that like they grew up and whatever from about 13 to about 25, that's all the music that they heard and they loved it. And that's the, all the music they'll ever listen to ever again. The rest of very true. And there's a lot of those people and and that's fine. Yeah. But, um, those people still go to shows too, you know, but there's also, there's a, there's a group in there that decides, man, I really dug this sound and. I want to try to go and find more music like that. <laughs> oh, there she is. Agatha's talking to us now. Yeah. yeah. Um, she needs an Edelberry gummy. Uh, <laughs> she does. So um, for me, I'll very much that, that 13 to 25, the melting pot I grew up listening to in East Texas was obviously country music because it's Texas and country music was a big influence, but a lot of soul and R and B over there. My main was 90s alternative there you music. Go. Same here. Oh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I still jam it I, at did least you go once to Rock a week. Fest? At Texas remember? Motor Speedway? Yeah. Yeah, I remember. So it. did I. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember a lot about it. Oh, really? <laughs> Experience? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Don't was, remember a lot, but. That was my first big concert to go to. So it wouldn't affect that. You know, oh, I saw it all. We didn't even sleep the first night because we were just like. Everything was new to us. I mean, I was, I think I was 15, 14 or 15. I got to go because uh, this kid at school worked at Blockbuster. Remember? They were free tickets. Yes. And so, there, what was there, like 400,000 people? It, was, it on, was insane. It was on MTV that whole summer, and it was Jeez. it was amazing. All right, so night one, I'm trying to remember, or first day, I'm trying to remember who was on the lineup, and this is where I'm going to get super fuzzy. Was Silverchair on the first day? So... So or am I, am I wrong? It was really a one-day festival, but they had a pre-show. The pre-show, yeah, yeah. And it was the Nixons. It was the Nixons. You're yeah. right. The Nixons were the pre-show. That's right. Yeah. So how crazy is that? I mean, I bet there's your active listeners. Go out. There's some homework for y'all. Go look up the Nixons. Um, but then the next day was just, I mean, the artists that were the openers ended up being some of the biggest. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. I mean, Matchbox 20, I'd never heard of them before. They Because they weren't big then. No, and they were. Because yourself were, and someone like you didn't come out until two years later. Exactly. And Third Eye Blind was an opener. Mm-hmm. And Sugar Ray was an opener. They were. You remember? Goodness. Yeah, those were opening bands at Rockfest. And wow. the headliners were like Bush and No Doubt. No doubt, I swear, is still one of the greatest live bands I've ever seen in my life. When they when the oh, one yeah. guy plays two guitars at one time during "Don't Speak," I like I, I can't believe it. And then Gwen Stefani climbs up, you know, fifty foot in the air on the on the lighting. I'm office. just a girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was way cool. Um, somebody I just recently saw, Alanis Morissette. Oh yeah, what'd you think? Crushed it. Yeah, top five show of all time for me. Was she, where'd you see her at? Jackson. Okay. Uh, I got to see her at uh, the Kaboo Fest that they did at AT&T mm-hmm. Stadium like two years ago. And she was pregnant. 
And so she was just like walking. She would walk like one side of the stage and sing and walk back to the other. And uh, I was like, I think she's just like trying to not have a baby on stage right then. <laughs> no, this was a full on Atlantic show. Oh, cool. So cat, so cat power opened. It was supposed to be Liz fair, but something happened. And so her camp couldn't be there. So cat power opens then garbage, oh. then Atlantis. Dude. And it was a straight up Atlantis <laughs> Morissette show. They come out to uh, girl power. huh? Oh yeah. I didn't care. That's awesome. I, I, it was 1997 all over again for me. <laughs> I could, I, I was there. I was having teenaged angst and then it was, I was looking for my jolt cola and, um, yeah, dude, it was, oh, she's amazing live. Amazing. Uh, it's so funny. You did all that. I just wrote a song like two or three, like uh, maybe a week ago and it's called back in the nineties. And so it's basically like our childhood. Okay. And I sent it to some friends, you know, Parker Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and he sent, he sends back, dude, that was so cool. I wish I was alive in the nineties. Does that not make you feel horrible? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know like you might not have been around, but surely you're like influenced by it. But that also made, I sent it to him because I kind of wanted to see if it was a good enough song, even if you didn't grow up back then. And so they seem to like it, but Yeah. It's it's kind of funny you're bringing all that up. It was an in, the '90s were an interesting time because we were the transition generation. I think so too. You know, they have like our age group. I've seen we we're like not millennials and we're not the Generation X, and yeah. so some of them are calling us like the Star Wars generation. There's different names for it. Yeah. So by I don't know who makes the definitions, but by definition, I'm the last year of Gen X. I was born in '79. Okay. So I'm considered the last generation of Gen, or last year of Gen, and Gen I'm X. I'm 80, so I'm the first millennial. You're the first millennial, but there's a micro generation that they say is 77 yeah. to 83. Yeah, and that we're in that. We're in that, and it, and it's I can tell a difference. Well, and you know, I think part of it, the main thing that I think makes it to where we we still can relate and understand millennials is that we were able to learn with the internet. Like the internet mm-hmm. was new to us. It was, you know, brought into our homes. I remember when we got our first like home computer with the internet and how the older generation was scared of it. Even then don't, don't click. I remember my dad don't click on Ben and Jerry's like, mm-hmm. because you'll end up buying ice cream. And then, yeah. And, and you know, just clicking on a website was meant you were going to buy something to them. And so we knew what was real and what wasn't real already. Well, because we had computers in school. Yeah. We went from just a typing class to having more than just a typing I class. Mean, Oregon Trail was like taught to us in school. You know, I was what just I mean? talking about that the other day. Do you not ever just want to go play the original Oregon I've Trail? I tried to get it on my phone. I would, because I don't remember much of it. I just remember you dying a dysentery. Dysentery, yeah. Or whatever, and trying to shoot bears and stuff with in, a rifle. In f- do you want to ford the river or do you want to float the river? <laughs> it was the greatest game ever. I died every time. I mean, I don't know. You lost 47 pounds of food. <laughs> and Timmy was taken off by a hawk. I'm telling you, like, what what kind of learning was that? I don't understand. Yeah, we learned reality. I guess so. Don't go kill a bear. <laughs> You'll be eaten by you a bear. Eaten by a bear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it was, it was that, um, so we got our first home computer. I guess I was a sophomore in high school and it was that we had to get another phone line in the house. And I remember like the first couple websites I went to was, uh, San Diego zoo. 
and being able to click on pictures oh, yeah. of different animals. And then the Mazda website, you could oh, go onto oh. the Mazda website and you could customize an RX seven. Okay. Okay. And it took like two days <laughs> for everything to upload. You know what I mean? You wonder what those cars sell for right now. Oh, it's unreal. <laughs> but you got to, you know, you could do all these things. And, but at the same time, we were also the generation, and this is not a knock on nowadays. My mom had a cell phone. It could only be used after 8 p.m. Or you could use it, but it was free on nights and weekends. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I could take that cell phone with me. Like if I was going, if we were going to like Corsican or Athens or something, if we were going out. Yeah. But other than that, you had to know, you had to be at the house when somebody called. Oh, yeah. Or you had to go to the pay phone. <laughs> I'm tell- that's in my song. I was like, mom, tell me whenever I missed a call. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, you know, the, the stuff that they you take for granted nowadays. Like I can get a hold of both of my kids right now. They're both in high school. Anytime, you know, if I can't get a hold of them, then there's something wrong. They're avoiding me or something. Yeah. Something's up. Cause I mean, they have their phones on them at all times. All the time. I mean, mine's sitting here plugged into the board I mean, right in the front. Way, yeah. You should be able to get a hold of me pretty much anytime. So, you know, I think that's, uh, something that especially an older generation, when you're going through relationships, you know, if you've been married at my age, uh, the whole time for, you know, 15 to 20 years, you don't understand what these kids are going through. Mm-mm. You know, I, I went through a divorce and so I started the whole relationship game over again and dating with cell phones is all like, there's fights I would have never had in high school and stuff like, why'd you like this girl's picture on the internet? Or why'd they like your picture on the internet? Or you're like, uh, I'm a musician. I don't know. I don't know. Or I was drunk and I liked it because um, I was drunk and being stupid. But, you know, you don't think about that kind of stuff. You don't. Like having a major effect on on the stress of a relationship. And let's not even get into misunderstanding conversations via text. Oh. <laughs> no kidding. Thank God there's emojis, but still, even though it's like, you know, you know, we're old now. If we use the crying, laughing emoji, you have to use dead. If something's funny, you have to use the skull. Cause what? yeah. Jeez. So we're old now because we use the wrong emoji. <laughs> I don't get this. Just Man. wait. It's all going to happen to them too. Who knows what, you know, it's, it's funny to us. We're seeing the transition, like even online, like Facebook's for old people, you know? I mean, I remember being in college when Facebook came out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember MySpace thinking this is oh, the most interesting thing on the planet. I, I was like, I hung on to MySpace because I thought it was better than Facebook. It's the best of all of them. It's like, I can design my own page. I can have my own music. It's like, when you come over to my house, you're hanging out with friends, mm-hmm. and here's what I like. It was MySpace. <laughs> it was MySpace. Um, little did we know that we were all learning a little bit about coding at the very, very yeah. beginning of it. Well, I mean, I went to school at first to do coding. And, really? Yeah. Did I know this? That's what I first started. I changed my major four times. And, As it uh, should be. Yeah. But um, it's funny. We're kind of going, you asked if we could talk about work. I really felt like I was deceived when I went to college because I wanted to, I wanted to be an animator. I can draw really well. But I'm the I'm, things I learned. I'm red, green, colorblind. And so I did the color palette test for the Art Institute in Dallas and failed miserably. I have no idea if it was like, I thought it said 74. 
apparently it was only letters. I don't know. With all the dots and stuff. Yeah. So that was pretty devastating to be I like, I bet it was, you know, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get to, you know, make dinosaurs in the next Jurassic park movie. And that was like, <sighs> you know, my dream. I was like, that would be so cool. And, uh, and so I thought, well, I guess if I could do just like the mapping side of things and no knock on Tarleton, I love Tarleton. I graduated there, but I was told that you could do that with a computer science degree. And then I'm in it for a year and a half and I'm all I'm doing is coding and just typing for hours and hours. And we finally made one deal where it's like, you know, it pops up like you're on and it says, hello world, click to translate and you click it and it says, hola mundo. And it took me probably three hours to write that code. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I don't want to sit in a room and make stuff like this forever. You wanted, you wanted art. I wanted to be, yeah, I want to be an artist and you know, all that kind of go goes into like me figuring out who I was really back then without really knowing how to pursue that. So here's one that you're going to find interesting. So I went for English and creative writing okay. part of interesting uh, English and creative writing. Uh, <clears throat> I went to commerce, the East Texas state, which yeah. became Texas a commerce. We knew it as easy T easy T baby. <laughs> Easy tea in the armpit of Texas. I got some good friends over there, man. Um, we had to do printing class. Okay. Physical printing. Right. Like you had to set up a printing press. <coughs> Sorry. I don't know that anybody here knows what the hell a printing no. press is. We were watching a movie. I think it's the Zodiac with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, uh, it, oh, yes, it is. Zodiac. And then, oh, and, and then also somehow like the kids just want to watch some older movies and the, uh, we watched Spider-Man two, I think. Uh-huh. And you know, they have the editors and they're laying out on the table. They're doing copy edit. Yeah. And Had so to do that too. I was like, kids, that's what you used to all the easy stuff. We make flyers with on Instagram. And mm. I'm like, and it's, nope. you had to literally lay out what that was going to look like. So you could copy that. And then make sure your color balance is right. Oh my like, I don't know how they did that stuff back then. It's <sighs> insane. That must've been, so much work. I mean, it it's hard enough to do it now and make it look good, you know. And we can do it with apps. Yeah, and it's just a click of our finger, and you that's frustrating. It. Oh yeah, but it's part of the game. It is. It's part of the game. I love it. So you've talked about this song that you wrote. You want to play it? Yeah. See if I can uh, knock her out here. I like it. This is brand new. I um, I'm working on new songs because uh, I'm fixing to go into the studio in November. Oh, where are you going to record at? Melody Mountain Studio. Yes. Yeah. So those are my guys, man. I, I dote on them pretty pretty regularly. And I loved them. So I remember when we uh, uh, I first ever did a demo was uh, right around when Six Market was, was splitting up, right? So um, if you don't know those guys, that's Ben Hussey and Josh Serrato, and they used to have this trailer house that everybody party at in Stephenville called yeah. the compound. And so all this craziness, six market, like was a total shock to everybody in the band too, you know, that they were going to not be a band anymore. And so they were kind of in this like middle ground. And I remember I opened for, uh, I'm trying, I think it was the lawless Americans or something. And it was Johnny who played drums for Dolly Shine And, okay. And Jared Flushy and Ben Hussey it was a three piece thing that they just really, did. 
randomly, right? Because Jared was also in um, Dolly Shen. Yeah, and and then he um, was in Co. Now he's with Geo. Geo, yeah. And so it's funny to watch all these guys where their careers are like. Did Jared play with Sam at one time? I mean, Jared's played with me now. I mean, like Jared's played with everybody. Yeah, I think he's just like he loves to play. And whenever, if he's got it open and he likes you, he'll do it. I think it's one of those deals. Another amazing musician. Oh my God. So, uh, anyway, so I opened for him and then used to was Buck Buffalo just does dumb stuff and what, well then I, they got to see me do an hour set and they were, Ben was like, Hey man, that was uh, pretty good. You ought to get some songs recorded. I can record you and we're, we're fixing to open a studio, but we need to get some capital first. And they literally, so I recorded my first uh, little EP demo with five songs in their trailer, and they had the egg crate foam stapled to yes. the ceiling of the yes. trailer house. Yeah. <laughs> but um, getting to do that, like, changed the way that those Stephenville musicians that, because I, I started late, you know, I'm older, but I, I started late. So all these guys are younger than me by 10 years, probably, and they're already like, successful yeah. and so to have them like finally start respecting what i was trying like kind of where i was going uh meant a lot and so now i've been working for them for years and then in the in the studio they have that's behind the main stage at ljt at his big music fest at melly mountain they have like their favorite albums that they got to record and mine's up there and interesting I, yeah it like you know almost makes me emotional now just thinking about like my first album was, was like one of them that they enjoyed the most to put up there. That's good. And also little Easter egg. What's up? The, in, the intro to this podcast, <laughs> you're in, you're oh, one of yeah. the voices. <laughs> That's right. You, sir. Yeah, yeah, I'm in that. You're in that. Yeah. It's funny, Upchurch right, does the song. And uh, they have his album up there too. His ah, voice, so. That's such a good album. It's a great album. I'm a little partial to it because I got a couple co writes on it. Oh, but, okay. Um, uh, actually, the song that that you heard on the intro that's a co write for oh, me too. Oh, right on, cool. Yeah. Well, that's that's a tricky thing to do is co write. I mean, a lot of people are like, "Yeah, I wrote this with so and so. I wrote this so and so." The first time you sit down to try to co write a song, it's you better hope y'all click. There's got to be a little bit of a click. To oh yeah. Yeah, we can get into that after you play. <laughs> I got a couple. I got a couple things. I'm I'm very opinionated about the co-writing. See, if we're gonna get this one. It's brand new, so. I don't even know if I'll put this one on the album or not, but we'll see. So. Playing Tetris to my Game Boy die Watching reruns on Nick at night Ace Ventura and some pizza rolls I played Nintendo with the Contra code Air Jordans and Deck Jeter Stuffing notes to my Trapper Keeper Back in the 90s Shania Twain on my bedroom wall Back in the 90s Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl And mama would always tell me Anytime I missed a call Didn't have nothing back then But thought I had it all Back in the 90s 
Back in the nineties Doc Martens and a starter coat VH1 and pop-up videos Fresh Prince and Full House I went to Rockfest and I saw no doubt Bill Clinton and the OJ trial Tupac showed us how to rip West Side Back in the 90s Shania Twain on the bedroom wall Back in the 90s Before they called me millennial And mama would always tell me Anytime I missed a call Didn't have nothing back then But I thought I had it all Back in the 90s Back in the 90s Back in the 90s Shania Twain on my bedroom wall Back in the 90s Atlanta Braves did the tomahawk chop Back in the 90s Garth Brooks sold out Central Park Back in the 90s Back when Carissa could explain it all Back in the 90s Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl back in the 90s. Rodney King said, Can we get along back in the 90s? Shania Twain on my bedroom wall back in the 90s. Okay, damn it, that is fun. <laughs> that is fun. And Agatha liked it too. Right on. I got the dog's approval. It oh, I love it. Rodney, you see that Rodney King in the end. I dig uh, that. <laughs> I dig that a lot. Uh, the only thing I would say is missing for me. Uh-huh. I'm not telling you to change the song right. is I didn't hear anything about being on bended knee. <laughs> uh so I I loved uh, uh Boys the Men. That was like one of my first two CDs. I got this kid somehow used to steal CDs from Walmart for everybody. I think everybody knew that guy. <laughs> and so I had the Green Day Dookie album and Boys to Men 2. Both of them were my first two CDs. <laughs> and I think everybody's first two CDs were the Boys to Men 2 album or that. Uh, uh, God. Do you uh, remember they had the hidden track on the Dookie album? That was so cool. Yeah. Back in the day. I'm, yeah, hidden track. <laughs> so my very first CD that I remember going from cassette to CD was – might have been Cooley High Harmony by Boys to Men. I remember like one Christmas I got the uh Reality Bites soundtrack. Oh yeah. Because it had Stay by Lisa Loeb. Oh my god, yeah, that was good. Uh and like that song was like my <laughs> I still jam that song. Um and then you remember Columbia House? Columbia oh, when you had the little stamps to order? Yes. <laughs> I probably still owe them like 120 bucks. I think. I think we all do. That's why they went broke. Do you remember there used to be a, a phone number you could call and listen to like 30 seconds of songs? Oh, I do not remember this. Yeah. In the 90s, 
there was like, and it was kind of like Columbia House. You could buy the album from the phone, and but you could listen. This, but you could dial the number, and then you'd have to type in with the right numbers how to spell a part of the name of the band. And oh, it was, this is cool. And it would name like it'd be like if you started with like A C E, it would give you like a, a Aerosmith or Ace of Base. Did you mean this? And then you click one for the one you meant, and then you could listen to like twenty or thirty seconds of each song off of the album. That's cool. It was pretty cool. And I never bought anything because, you know, I was a kid. And I was a kid, yeah. Mom wasn't going to give me the credit card for that. Uh, starter jackets. Hell yeah. I had one, but I didn't have a, we couldn't afford the starter. So we got the turbo, oh. which was the knockoff one. But it was okay. just, it was the exact same looking. I had an Aggies. Oh, did you? A&M. I had Penn State for some reason. Because it was cool looking back then. Yeah, Penn State was it. Uh, and I remember hats. I had a, a Charlotte Hornets hat. That was like my favorite hat back so in the day. So there was like there were like three main designs in the nineties. Remember they had like the shark waves. Yeah. Um, so I had a Cowboys one like that. And then the probably the Charlotte Hornet ones were the ones that had like like a, a print and then like the cursive with the yes. lines on it. It's exactly what it was. <laughs> exactly which one it was. Uh-huh. Listen to this. This is a crazy thing. I got one, I got one of those hats, but it said NCAA basketball, right? And if you remember, used to, they had, like, on top, on the caps of the 20-ounce Mountain Dews. Yeah. And you could pick, it would have the college basketball teams. And if they won the Final Four uh or made it to the Final Four, yeah. So I got North Carolina. You had a Carolina, I had a Duke. they won. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God. So I was, like, you know, 16 years old or something. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to win $100,000. I'm going to open a Taco Bell on I-20 by Cisco. That was like, what was my, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm going to do. That'll, I still think they would make money right there, but absolutely. Anyway, so I grew up in Cross Plains that one year and I was like, that's it. And then they mailed me this package and I was like, okay, here it is. I'm fixing it. Like, who knows? And I, they sent me a hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so now it's all, you got to enter a code into something. Twist a pepper. Do you remember the twist a pepper? No, you don't remember twist a pepper. So it was similar to that. It was Dr. Peppers. And if you twisted it, you'd get a free 20 ounce soda. So, no, because I, I'm a Dublin Dr. Pepper drinker, and in the '90s, I didn't drink. If it wasn't a Dublin Dr. Pepper, I refused to drink it because I was trying to save their business even back then. So we didn't have Dublin Dr. Pepper in East Texas. I mean, it, it wasn't a thing. Yeah. So, but you would go to the you would go to the gas station, and it was Dr. Pepper had the twist of pepper. And I remember gas stations had to start a rule that you would not open your soda before buying it because you would go in and you'd grab your Dr. Pepper out of the counter. Put it up, <laughs> free soda. Throw the cap to him and walk out the door. And it was, was just, oh, it was greatness. You know, that's back when gas was a dollar twenty six a oh, gallon, yeah. and my eighty six F one fifty that got four. I'm saying this correctly. <laughs> four miles to the gallon because <laughs> it had the three fifty one Windsor in it, four wheel drive. Oh yeah, um, had a natural body lift on it because it was straight axle. I yeah, I, I put gas in it. It was money, money, money. You know that that that, that goes right now. That's really what my truck did. Like that's you, cr- you had the saddle, the saddle tanks. You filled up this side, then you turn oh, around yeah. and fill that side up. That was a big thing. Two tanks back. Yeah, then. you'd be cruising another run. <laughs> flip the switch. <laughs> another thing that I think would get people nowadays: dimmer switches on the floor. On the floor. Yeah, dude. Uh, I had an '84 Ford F one fifty, and that was I. That should still be a thing. I love it's, it. Yeah, it's so much easier. Right there. Yeah. Click. Right. 
I yeah. don't have to move my hands or nothing. I'm going to move hands. <laughs> of course, on that on that F-150, it usually took two hands because steering wheel would be all wobbly. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> uh, Double and Dr. Pepper, they, they were my thing, man, because, I mean, most of my growing up was in Stephenville, so they were right there, and they sent me all kinds of stuff when I was in the hospital and everything. So they sent me, like, they sent me a hat that had, like, a, a brass that was, like, their logo, and it's probably worth a whole bunch of money, and I lost really? it being a kid. They sent me all this Dublin Dr. Pepper memorabilia and everything. Yeah. So, do, do you want to get into the the story about being in the hospital? It's up to you. I know you had 14 questions. I don't know which Well, let's go into it because this is off my conversations, and okay. I bet the listeners don't know. So, so yeah, um, I was like, I thought I was going to do sports. I thought I was going to be a baseball player, at least get into college, even – my freshman year, I was I was pretty good. I played at Stephenville. I got to play a couple games on varsity at a 4A school. And my coach told me, he was like, you're, you're going to get to play somewhere. I don't know where it'll be, but it may not be your dream school, which I wanted to go to the, the Horns, and they ended up winning the national championship. would have been around like when I was in college. So Yeah, when Augie was there. Yeah. And so anyway, all that. Um, like I batted third on all three of the lineups in high school. Uh, yeah, okay. And That's so, a good spot. And had – uh, I think we had like 200 something at bats and only struck out three times that whole year. My freshman year. And so I really thought, well, this is it. And then, and then I was playing football for Art Browse too at Stephenville. And uh, then all of a sudden, one Saturday afternoon, I was driving to see my mom and crashed my pickup, ran into a van that was stopped before there was a turning lane. If anybody was listening, those were Woody's barbecue was in between Stephenville and Dublin. And and uh, it was bad, bad. Like they the care flight of me almost lost my right foot. Both of my knees are just demolished. I've got a steel rod in my femur, and so that that changed my playing days. And you got beat up a little bit, sir. Yeah, I mean, I was in a, I was I was in the intensive care in Fort Worth and in a wheelchair for like three months, and I had to be in a, on a walker in high school. Imagine like going through the school and all that crap. It's got to be tough. So. Yeah, and so that that's kind of how all that went. I changed. I didn't want to be around all my guys winning in sports, so I went, that's why I went to Cross Plains for a year. And then that took a turn. <laughs> yeah. So when I went there, I made friends like right off the bat. It was it was so much fun. Those those dudes were freaking party. I mean, every weekend it was like as soon as the football game was over, we're going to some field somewhere and we're just gonna get smashed and. You know, I'm a kid, and girls are interested, and, I mean, they're all partying. That was like, this was a lot of fun. And they were pretty good in sports, too, back yeah. then. So I thought, well, heck, maybe I'll try to get healthy and play baseball for them. What's so crazy is the Cross Plains baseball team went back-to-back in baseball while I was in school, and then the Stephenville football team went back-to-back, and they won state. And and it was so, kind of weird that both of those things happened while I was in school because knowing how hard that stuff is to do nowadays, yeah. it's pretty rare. It's, it's very difficult. And so anyway, so we partied and partied, and one I decided I was going to have my birthday party. It was going to be the biggest one yet, and I got some kegs and and everything in high school. And uh, two of my friends were um, getting jacked up, and they for some reason left my party and broke into the school. Started setting stuff on fire. What? Yeah. This was national news. It was a year before Columbine. 
And so it was, it was all over the news. And so, yeah, they almost exploded this entire school at Cross Plains and, uh, and ATF came. So this was like a year or two after, after wake up. Yeah. And so we were scared to death. They were pulling out everybody that was at the party one by one, interviewing them. And, you know, and we all pretty much knew who did it and all that kind of stuff. And, but you know, you don't want to like, you don't want to be the rat on your friends, but it was at my house and my mom was there. And so that was not good. Sure. It's not that, that, that really made things hard for imagine if that happened with your kids. And, you know, she was like, if you're here and your friends are here, I guess it, I know where you're at and you know, yeah, that yeah. Kind of stuff and trying to do the right thing. Cause she knew we were going to probably do it anyway. And, uh, and then that happened. So it was pretty traumatic. And so I'm, I had to move back to Stephenville with my dad. And, uh, that was knowing now that was like, you know, I'm, Found out, you know, you leave your girlfriend and she starts seeing somebody else. And, you know, that that was the like what I know now was depression. You know, um, when you're a kid, you don't really know I don't that. understand that. Yeah. And you're, it's like riding. It's like a ninety nine, two thousand. And especially yeah. back then, because we didn't talk about depression back then. No, I, I do feel like it's a little bit more open on, you know, if you're going through something, you know, especially. Um, with creative people, they tend to, you know, a lot of them that they go down dark paths. And I think that's why, you know, you, you like the sad songs. I mean, that stuff comes from dark places. It does. Yeah. Sad songs help me cope with a lot of things. And I, and I think that's what writing does. I think, uh, for me, at least I'll pick up a guitar instead of like, you know, uh, smoking weed or, drinking or whatever um because that's that's my coping it's your outlet yeah and whether i know i'm gonna write a song or not at least it's like it's always there for me and it helps me move through my brain in another way without having to be relying on something that i've seen affect so many people in a negative way I've always had, I'm very strong and opinionated about writing. I think that everybody has the capability of writing, whether it's music, poetry, prose, journaling. I am a strong proponent of getting it out. Even if it doesn't mean anything, I'm sorry. Not every songwriter writes good songs. Not every poet writes good poetry and not every novelist writes good books. Everybody writes something that sucks. So if your excuse for not writing is because you think it'll suck, guess what? Everybody sucks. I think it is the most healthy way to get something out. I've encouraged a lot of friends. I write every single day. Yeah. Journaling, novels, whatever. I write sometimes songs every single day because it's my outlet. It's how I cope. Like we, like you were just talking about. That's how I don't just go freaking batshit crazy is when there's something in my mind and it could be something that's suppressed from 25 years ago that I didn't realize oh, yeah. had trauma attached to it. I write it down. And sometimes it comes out fictitious having nothing at all to do with what I wrote yeah. or what, what actually happened. That's just how I'm dealing with it. And I've learned that I have opened and closed and finalized a lot of things I've dealt with in my life just by doing that. Even if it's just free writing, you're getting it out. You're mm-hmm. not balling it up. When people talk about keeping things inside, that's yeah. not healthy. I I still find, uh, I mean, all of the 
you when you write, you're you're you have a way to not feel like you're keeping this burden on you. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes when you get it out as a song, um, you so I kind of started where I was gonna do stand up comedy is what I thought my thing was because I do these dumb songs or whatever. And they're not dumb songs, sir. They're silly songs. They're silly songs. So I was doing that, and I was cool with that. But what I learned was uh, an approach to trying out material, mm-hmm. realizing what works and what doesn't. And when I first started doing what I call serious songs, were stuff just like that. I had this one it's on my album called "The Moth Song," and uh, that's a really good tune. By it's, the way. A, it's kind of about how my dad passed away, and. You know, and this like spark that you have, and whatever. And at first, it's kind of funny because I say like, you know, when I was a caterpillar, and I remember like seeing the first time I did it, I had like some friends there, and they and uh, they laughed. And then when I was done, this one dude comes up and he's like in tears, and he's like, um, "I'm sorry, I laughed at that song. I didn't realize what it was going to be." You know, when you finished, and uh, it's it's interesting to see what you're going through, you never know who's going to relate to it out there. Uh Cause even if they're, if you're not going through it anymore, cause you kind of fossilize your emotions when you write them down at that moment. And then, you know, you may play them two years from now and you're not that person anymore, but somebody else in that audience is Is that person. Yeah. So it's pretty, and, and it could help them or, you know, it could it can help them whether it's just not feeling alone, or it may just make them have some have a little bit of hope. Like uh, my wishing well song, this was so crazy. I got to go play in Denver, and uh, we did a random house party where with like Lincoln the Shanks and everything. Yeah, uh, they literally built a stage out of the front door of their dad's house. Like we're nailing it and painting it. And then the next day we're going to stand right in the front yard at the T of this intersection in Aurora, Colorado and play a show in the street. And it was really fun. A lot of, a lot of good dudes. And, um, I'd been posting that we were doing this and these people came that had heard my wishing well song. They didn't know anybody else there. They just showed up to the street party. And when I was done there, this guy was like, I used to be a heroin addict. And I somehow heard your song and I've been 15 years clean and, uh, I've got a daughter and this is my wife and uh, we just wanted to meet you and tell you how much of that song, you know, damn dude, that's power. Thank you for sharing that. Um, is writing for you a passion or obsession? (laughs) I think it's gotta be both. Um, because if I, or especially playing guitar, if I don't pick up my guitar um, that day, then I must've been super busy because I had just feel like I'm like, I have to do it. Not that I even have to. So I think that's the obsession thing. I'm not even, a, I'm not a great guitar player now that I've been around people. I know, holy shit, there's some freaking monsters out there. There are. And, uh, but the writing part is definitely a passion because I think what changes a passion and an obsession is, you can you can be obsessive about uh, Star Wars, uh-huh. you know what I mean. Um, but the passion is, I want to be good at writing. You yeah, know? it's the drive. Yeah, I don't want to just be. Uh, I just don't want to just write. 
I want to make sure when I write, I'm making it, you know, something worth remembering, you know. Mm -hmm. But you have to keep trying it out, too. So I don't know how these big artists do it, where they they write a new song and they don't have uh, a new audience, like, unbiased, you know. And maybe why sometimes, you know, you hear, like, a sophomore album not do so well for some other bigger people. My theory behind that is, you can get a fan base and I could be completely off target. This is just my opinion. You can get a fan base. That's going to like whatever you do. Okay. Because they become obsessive about it. Oh, it's kind of like we're talking about. It's like we're talking about. And maybe it's bubbleish. kind of go throw back to what mm-hmm. we were talking about a few minutes ago that you get locked in that bubble that, that, uh, and I'm going to use an artist here and this is not, for any reason other than it was the first thing that came to my mind, you get an Eric Church bubble of people. Okay. That every time Eric Church puts a song out, have you heard the new Eric Church song? Right. It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and it's because they're an Eric Church fan. Right. And to them, maybe that is the best song he's ever done because they are obsessive about it. Does it mean it's the best song ever written? It could be complete garbage. Again, not saying anything Eric Church's <laughs> wrote has been garbage, but I think you get that sometimes. And I think a lot of times in the music industry, and this is, this is goes for any industry. If you don't surround yourself with people that can give you an unbiased opinion, you suffer. Yeah. I think if you don't surround yourself with in songwriting, better songwriters than you are, you don't grow better guitar players, lyricists, uh, whatever, if you're not surrounding yourself with somebody who is better than you, you become stagnant. And I think a lot of times when about that sophomore slump is you, maybe it's, maybe it's a producer that's trying to rekindle that fire they had on the first album. And so they fall down the same tropes and the same avenues. And that's not what music's about. Music's about creating something new and fresh. Right. Hell, even if it's just doing a cover a different kind of way that you have, you know, yeah. domain to it's, it's about creating something new and unique and not everything's going to be unique. There's only so many chords and so many bars and so many. There's only seven ways to make a sandwich. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I I think uh, there's a lot of different avenues. I'm sure you could go with that because you could get around. Yes, man. They're like, Oh man, y'all, you did it. All right. Well, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. But I say this all the time. I'm so fortunate. I, I started in Stephenville because so many people there are badasses. They're great writers. They're great musicians. Good people. It's a music town, and those we push each other. Yes, you know, and you know, you watch people you know, uh, like become famous in the scene, and you're like, okay, you know, we were a part of that. We were on stage together. You, you know, we're still, uh, we still, you know, know each other and inspire each other. You know. Uh, it's it's definitely encouraging, but it's like that saying: if you're not, if you're the smartest man in the room, you're in the wrong room. You're in uh, the wrong room. So, Thank you. I love that quote. So that's how it should be when you're doing music too. And if you can't critique yourself, um, then then you're you're oblivious to what the audience is doing. Oh yeah, you know. I, I can tell you, I'm a massive James Taylor fan. Yeah. I can tell you, I don't think everything James Taylor has done has been amazing. Well, is there an artist? Uh, there's very few for me. Everything that they've put out, I'm like, yes, 
I used to say one, but they just came out with a new album that I'm just not into at all. I would want to say Guy Clark, maybe for me, but I don't know. Okay, not Guy Clark. There's two I can think of right now that I might say I dig everything. Carol King. Oh, yeah? Everything. Carol King might be the only artist that everything I've ever heard by Carol King, I can say, yeah, that's good. Let's see. You got one, maybe two, you know? One. I don't, like I said, I could say that about Guy Clark, but I can think back and go, there's a couple songs I can skip that I don't have to listen to. See, I mean, that right there is like, what do you do as an artist? You know, you have to make certain decisions. Okay, I'm not going to win over every audience. Or that's why it's all, it's a game and it's a trick and it's fun. (laughs) There's no formula. Yeah. Cause you're like, this worked and I did this and everybody liked that one. Well, here comes another one. Oh, uh, it didn't work. That's uh, huh? <laughs> music. It's such you, a strange thing. You can't sit there and be mad at the audience because they didn't get it. You know, it's just, that's how it goes with every single artist out there. Even your favorite ones. You're going to, yeah. you're not going to love everything they do. Yeah. I'm sitting here trying to rack my brain and I'm sitting here going, is there anybody else? Cause again, I'm not saying anything James Taylor's done is bad, but I can think there's one or two songs that just don't do it for See, me. I love, I really do love Sturgill Simpson, but and I used to be like, heck, every one of these albums he's done is I love it. But now the new one, uh, Juanita and the Dude or whatever, yeah, it's not doing it for me, man. You know, and other people may love it, and I like it. You know, if I ever meet Sturgill someday, I, you know, I hope he doesn't ask me about that album. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I mean, I've got goals. I want to meet him. You know. I've got goal artists too. I think everybody should. I heard a, I heard a story somewhere, and I'm sure I heard it on a podcast or something. And it was talking about somebody was in Minneapolis and ended up was a comedian or somebody or an actor, and they ended up in a club with Prince. Oh wow! And Prince invited them to the, his table <laughs> and was talking about how you know every you know just you know, awkward conversations first time when you meet somebody like that. And that the handler or the manager or bodyguard or something leaned over and is like, hey, tell Prince you really like his new album. Really? And I'm going, Prince, of all fucking people. Needs his, needs need, his ego stroked. Well, and I don't know it was so much that, but maybe just an affirmation. Oh, probably so, because he's not around any real people. He's not around any real people. And I'm thinking, of all people, Prince. Wow. Because I put Prince up there pretty high oh, on dude, the music hierarchy. 20 instruments. I mean, he's insane. Probably one of the greatest guitar players. I put him in the top five. Some people argue with him, but I say he's top five guitar player. Have you seen that video of him where he throws his guitar like 30 foot in the air? Oh, uh, they're at the hot. Ho- with Tom Petty, they're playing While My Guitar Gently dude. Weeps. And he comes out in solos for five <laughs> minutes and just murders it's that stage. So and then goes. Whoosh. Yeah. And then he walks off like, where'd the guitar go? Okay. That makes him a God. He is a God. Uh, (laughs) But if you notice, there is a handler in front of him and I've heard that he would do that at club shows. Okay. Okay. But that, that was his, that was his mic drop before there was a mic drop. That's freaking badass. I mean, but if you're Prince and you can, (laughs) Prince can do anything and do no wrong. He was, there's people out there like, I don't listen to Prince. I'm like, it's cause you're a fucking prude. (laughs) I'm sorry, but if you can't get down to some raspberry beret, there's a problem. Right. Yeah. Prince is Prince was a fucking fun. He wrote nothing compares to you. Oh, uh, no. You know, the other one, um, just another manic Monday. Yeah. Well, he wrote that and was like, eh, 
You can have it. Yeah, and gave it to Susanna Hoffs and the Bengals. Is there any Hoffs, Susanna Hoffs and the Bengals? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, meh, whatever. That's another 90s kid thing, knowing who the Bengals were. <laughs> Walk like an Egyptian. Oh, God, that was awesome. And then um, <sighs> Eternal Flame. Uh, do that one. Uh, you, don't, you don't know that one? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, they had a song called Eternal Flame. Is this burning an eternal oh, yeah. flame? And okay. here's your Texas time. All right. Eternal Flame came on the radio. It's that something, something. Um, it's Eli Young uh, off of the Levels album. Uh, <laughs> what did I do wrong? Nothing. I treated you like an angel. What did I do? Anyway, that's the opening line is Eternal Flame came on the radio. Wow. And I remember how you loved it so. Wow, that's crazy. Stupid I bull, love it. Stupid shit that sits in my mind. <laughs> but I hear that, I'm like, oh, I know Eternal Flame. Yeah. Check. Good job, Eli Young. <laughs> um, Man, okay, so we just talked about those two really good songs that you have, and I'm trying to decide, and I'm going to flip a coin in my head, because uh, you said Wishing Well and um, the Moth Song. <sighs> Which one would you rather play? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm down for whatever. I don't have my harmonica for a wishing well, but that doesn't change anything. I still, I still go do that. Okay, well then do the moss song. See, I know you don't have to wear. A, you don't have to have a heart for that one. Well, the problem is I'm. You can probably tell I'm finding some allergies. And I, do you need to come a step down? I don't think that'll help me. Okay, because I've got a good allergy six story I can tell you real fast while you're getting into this. Okay, what's up? First time I ever got to go to the Opry was about five, six years ago. Summer and I went there for our birth anniversary. Her birthday and her anniversary are like a week away, so we do a birth anniversary trip. Right, every. That's nice. And we went to Nashville, and um, she's like, "Let's go to the Opry." And I'm like, "I don't want to see some shitty person at the Opry." <laughs> and that's when I was hating on Nashville because I didn't understand it, and now I get it. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, Music's music. Don't be in that bubble where Nashville sucks. And we can go into that for a whole other podcast. And so we go and we sit down and then I get the playbill on who's going to be there that night. And I'm like, holy shit. I'm like looking at the people that are going to be on this playbill. And I'm like, Vince Gill. And I'm oh, like, yeah. fucking a rot. Uh-huh. Vince Gill's going to be here. I'm like, this is sold. I've always wanted to see Vince Gill. Vince Gill comes out and he's got the flu. Oh no! And he says, "I mean, and he does not sound Vince Gillish. Huh. He's like, I just want to let all you know that uh, <laughs> I almost canceled a show for the first time in my 26 year career, and like you could tell, yeah. he was sick. He sits down to play. He gets through the first song, and he's playing like two steps down. Because you know Vince Gill, oh yeah, he's up higher. there, yeah. he's higher, so he's playing two steps down, trying to do it. Second song loses his voice. First, first verse of the song loses his voice, playing pocket full of gold." Most amazing musical moment I've ever seen happen in my life. Mark Wills is hanging out in the wings, just there for the show. Mark Wills comes out and sings Pocket Full of Gold while Vince oh can't. And it was one of the most spectacular things, by the way. If you ever want to see this, it's on YouTube, not oh, really? my video. There's You're a video there. of it. And like it's straight up Vince Gill's losing his voice. He is struggling. And Mark Wills, this isn't, you can tell this isn't a scripted moment because he comes out in jeans and like a fishing shirt. You know, Opry, they usually dress pretty nice. And he comes just out from the wings, (laughs) slays it. Yeah. Mark Wills is an amazing singer, but just comes out and does it. And I'm like, okay, that was a magical moment. Oh, that's way cool. But I'm, I'm, I say this to let you know that no, Mark Wills is not on the other side (laughs) of the front door to come bail you out. I hope I don't mess up now. Okay. Where's Reed at? He could come back. Reed. Yeah. Um, 
So whichever one's easier for you to sing, because I know you I are fighting the allergies. Yeah, I think I might do the uh, wishing well. Okay. Um, but uh, it's funny. I've been to Nashville a couple times now, and the whole reason I actually started taking this serious is because I have a song that's not nice about Nashville that Daryl Dodd heard, and he's he's the one that pushed me to like actually start doing this like about six years ago now, seven years ago. So, but uh, yeah, Nashville is if you want to be around some freak musicians, that's that's where you go. Like. Insanely good. Everybody's. They say if you uh, are driving to Nashville to go do a gig, but when you're about thirty minutes away, stop at the gas station, and if you can't play or sing better than the guy working there, then go turn around. Go home. <laughs> anyway, I remember uh, coming over the first lines of this, uh, and Corpus Christi, and the waves are falling on me. It's, you don't always remember stuff like that, but that's one idea. Tore a hole right through my skin. Slept three days and then did it again. Watch colors of the cosmos dance inside my brain. And I lost my mind for five days straight On a powder razor blade Saw my woman's face And remembered promises I'd made Got a bag full of caps and when I'm dropping I laughing in the rain And water rolling down my face When the coyote says my name And there's a girl putting tablets on my tongue Every time we kiss on Hey, and there's fingers running through my hair I don't know who say it I'm falling down, down, down a wishing well I see the fading light, light Looking on the other side there's only darkness in my eyes and I'm down 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 at the end of my road lying on a thousand rusted corns There's still hope 
music is such a powerful tool. And thank you for sharing that one. That's man, that's deep on a lot of different levels. And I think for you saying that you've had the experience of a fan coming up and telling you how much that song meant to them. I think, I think it did it. It's job. Good job, man. I really, really love that one. Appreciate it. It's a, it's, it's, it's a harsh man. That's harsh. It's a harsh topic to talk about. Well, uh, you know, in music, there's a lot of romanticizing of a drug culture. I feel like, you know, and there's, there's a lot of stories and a lot of things that happen that, wouldn't normally happen to a normal person. Um, and then if they do, then it seems to always, anytime you even watch movies or documentaries about that type of subject, it never, ever ends well. It doesn't. But, you know, I've met those kinds of people where they've figured out a way to get out of it and their lives are better now. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. Drugs do get romanticized a lot. Especially, Everybody has that grand illusion idea that every backstage of every music event is a motley crew oh, yeah. party. Right. I hate to burst your bubble, people, but 90% <laughs> of the time we're sitting around sweaty, smelling like dirt and ass, and, and yeah. we're just hanging tired. out, tired, eating a two-day-old burrito, and hey, man. Talking you, about your kids and your talking wife. Talking about your kids and your wife, and... I mean, we're probably having a drink or two, but it does, it's not a party. No. It's just a couple of mainly dudes, but. <laughs> mainly. Yeah. You're like, just hanging out. Hey, where's everybody at? What are y'all doing later? <laughs> yeah. Was a game on? They got the they got Wi-Fi in here. They got Wi-Fi. Go watch the game. <laughs> Dude, where's the cleanest bathroom? Oh, yeah. That's always comes up. Everybody thinks their barbecue is the best. This is actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've said that about a time or two. Everybody thinks their barbecue is the best. What's the best backstage food you ever had? Mm. I can go first if you want me to. Yeah, do it. I mean, I've got a couple, but. They had Waffle House backstage <laughs> at an event one time. And it was, you liked it. Uh, dude, there's nothing like some scattered, smothered, covered, <laughs> chunk, diced, and sliced getting thrown on a you plate would. in front of me. You, you know would. I would. Oh, man, I can see it. I got, you know, I don't know if you know my buddy Billy Hartman. He's a great songwriter, too, but he played upright bass and electric bass for me. For a while, and if we had a chance to stop at a Waffle House, he got exactly what you just said. Scattered, smothered, covered, chunk, diced, yeah. sliced, and chopped. I mean, what else? That's everything on the menu. Just There's two on, more. What else? <sighs> There's only like eight things on the Waffle House menu. It's a waffle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hash brown. Uh, it's scattered, scattered, smothered, covered, chunk, diced, sliced, chopped. There's two more. I can't think of what they are. I don't do the jalapenos. Okay. Uh, I don't do the jalapenos, and I think there's another something, another meat that you throw on there, and then you then you can also say and doubled. Oh, okay. I just want a single serving, <laughs> and I and I'll tell you, I I'm not real big on the Waffle House all the time, but just yeah. for the simple fact that I went backstage and went, holy shit, that's Waffle House backstage. <laughs> Like it was actual Waffle House. Oh, like yeah. they were catering it. <laughs> and this was a large event. That's pretty rare. That's definitely rare. And I'm pretty sure this was a large event, like a ranch bash or oh, something shoot. like that. Okay. Like we're talking, yeah. it's a big event. See, I'm not big on, I love a meal like that. Uh, but if I'm doing a show, I don't want a heavy meal. I rarely no. eat before. And so that's always the hardest thing whenever I'm like, they're like, hey, you got a meal tonight? Cool. Sweet. Put it in a go box for me. Yeah. Cause I'm, 
I'm never, I'm rarely will I eat beforehand because I've learned myself how I can control and it'll hit me. It'll be one note or two and there's a heartburn burp coming mm, and I've got to hold it, you know, and I've learned how to control that. It's a weird thing to learn how to control. Oh, I'm sure. Keeping a burp down while you're singing and talking. I don't know that I could. <laughs> you'll learn, you'll make yourself, but I will say there, I, I, I do like a good steak, and I've had Empty Glass Saloon in Greenville. I've never had a bad steak there. Really? And Turkey, Texas, Dave Martinez, he does steak nights on Saturdays when you play. Oh, my God, that dude can cook a steak. Steak night so, at the Prairie Rose? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, just a little, little tip of the hat to the moon pies. Yeah. Uh, man, so we kind of got away from this earlier. There's two things I missed saying. Uh, I wanted after your 90s song to say up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, select, start. Um, or was it up, up, down, down? I don't remember. It's well, one see, of the two. You were going to tell, you were like, you wanted the boys and men reference. I thought you were going to tell me a suggestion I got was we need to have at least one 90s guitar ripped in there. And because uh, it would be a neat little thing to throw in. Like in a bridge, like throwing a little. Yeah. Uh, and I tried to get like come as you are. And then, I thought that would be everybody recognize that one. But it just doesn't. I don't think that. Yeah. I mean, maybe if you like did a bridge and like you threw in like uh, I mean, you, you talked about it. You threw in you threw in some spider webs or some some oh, no yeah. doubt. Just a did it. Just like a real quick. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not <laughs> home right now. Yeah. yeah, some yeah. of that some of that Scott going on there. <laughs> um, the other thing, and we talked about this. We, we touched on it, and then we kind of got away from it. So co-writing. Okay. What are your thoughts on co-writing? Do you do a lot of it? I uh, really just kind of started doing that, and. Uh, uh, it's one of those things where I was like, I, I think it'd be cool if I could like figure out how to do that. And I like the way some of these guys write, girls write or whatever. Um, and I feel like, you know, if I can incorporate anything into somebody, I want people to respect my writing. So that would be way cool. And, uh, you know, it just didn't present itself or you would act like you're going to do a co-write and then all of a sudden you just end up drinking all night and nothing ever comes out of it. Those nights suck. <laughs> So that that kind of stuff happened, but um, when it, whenever it's been spontaneous, those have been the best ones. They really. generally are. So, uh, matter of fact, on this album that we're about to do, um, I won't be playing this one here because my vocals are not right for it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, Mason uh, Morris and I wrote this song called "Forever in a Day," and it's it's we try to pitch it to another artist first, who's been on your podcast and. Uh, they didn't take it, so um, and we found out it wasn't anything against us or anything, but we're we're probably gonna put it out there. It's and it's like holy crap! Like I didn't know I was capable of doing that. And then that's uh, cool when you 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 put something the finished product on. You're like holy shit! How did yeah, that happen? Yeah, I've had a couple of those moments. Not saying I'm a good songwriter. I've just been involved in a couple of rides, and I was like, holy hell, right. that came out. Yeah, yeah. It's a really it's a magical feeling. You're like, I wouldn't have done that on my own. You know, Colorado for me. Oh, you were on that one. Uh, yeah, that's badass. That's a uh, great song. Actually, ninety percent that's me. No kidding. Yeah. Shoot, that's freaking badass. Yeah. Most of now the they cleaned it up. Oh yeah. Mine was very Hemingway. I had a lot of description in there. Like, yeah, hey, let's clean this up. Let's clean that up. Let's <laughs> let's rephrase that. The body of it. The bones were mine. Oh. They 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 made it right. It was me, oh. Stedman, Skyler, and Rob. Okay. That's a whole good group of dudes right there. Right there. 
And I'm pretty sure there was a lot of empty bottles afterwards because <laughs> we that was that was a uh, that was a planned right. Yeah, and we were here for six and a half hours. So I got to go up to Nashville and Stedman's there now, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, we need to, no, yeah. we need to do, we need to do go right, man. You know, we got to get, <laughs> that's yeah. pretty good Stedman. Yeah. Um, but great dude. I mean, so that's, that's one of those things. Like I'd like to go up to Nashville and just have like, just ride, you know, and every time I've gone up there, it's always been good. The last time I went, though, I was a little bummed because, uh, I, you know, the, I was with uh, Garrett and, and Brandon and uh, Kinsey, and they were like, we hadn't heard you do the funny stuff in a while. You should do it. Get the crowd into it. And the crowd did need to get into the show. But, I, you know, you only get like three or four songs if you're That's lucky. what's hard, yeah. So I'm like, okay, if I go in here and I bust out my cousin's hot, everybody's going to love it, but then where do I go from there, you know? So it's like, okay, do I do like moonshine? Because it's like. The audience always like, oh, what the heck? He's playing with a beer bottle, you know? Like, yeah. So I feel like I kind of squandered my my chance up there to do what I really nah. need to do when I go. Nah. There's always time. Well, anyway. So, so what I will tell you is uh, we do co-writes here at the house. Okay. And it's getting about that time of year where we do fireside sessions. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and formally on air and invite you to one of our co-write sessions. All right. Now here's good. the good thing about it is, is none of us take it serious until something serious comes out of it. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, I love it. Everybody brings something to the table. If it's a line, if it's a melody, it's whatever. And we light a fire, uh, drink or not. Uh, but we sit around and we throw it against the wall. If something sticks, it doesn't 99% of the time we create something initially good but it's never out of what we brought and that's what's cool is just because we start blending ideas so we're gonna start doing it and at some point this is this is funny because this has happened with multiple different people over here at some point somebody noodles around and starts singing jesus and handbags (laughs) it's always happened it's this is not an exaggeration i've probably we've probably had 10 or 12 different people here and at some point somebody just and we're all sitting around doing it will break out jesus and handbags and it's not like it's me it's like somebody i'm like i was like did you just play Jesus in handbags about Dalton? Yeah. And I'm like, that's fucking weird. Cool, but weird. But it's just like, it's the one that always comes up. And I'm like, all right, uh, whatever. And then we go to the next song. I did it. I'd say him a deal one time. He shared it. And I was like, you know, you could, you should every now and then throw it out to see if your audience is listening and say, cheese, it's an hangman. Oh, <laughs> there's nothing like a good changed lyric in a song. Uh-huh. Best one I've ever had. And I don't know if I should say this out loud. I'm going to say it anyway. Brandon Ryder yeah. started singing Man in Conviction one day on stage. I've got a massive erection. <laughs> Funniest thing I've ever heard in my that life. That seems so out of out of left field for him, too. To it do does. Yeah. And I don't know that how I don't know how many people <laughs> caught it. Because it was on like a Wednesday night show and there was a decent sized crowd there. Um, and this is there probably some people were like, Did no I didn't hear that. Yeah. <laughs> like I caught I it. Love like full on. I was like, Oh, you just did that. Mm-hmm. There's there's things that happen when you're on stage when sometimes you're just jacking with the guys because you're just you've done enough shows together and you're like or you've had enough of the audience that's been enough of your shows just to be like I'm gonna do something just for them mm-hmm. and little Easter eggs oh I love that kind of stuff you know it just it breaks up the monotony sometimes you have to have that um, I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan and 
they had the most genius marketing thing, I think, in the history of the music business. And I don't know anybody that's ever done this. So early 2000s, they were releasing, they called them bootleg copies. When of, they did the live shows everywhere? And they were, I owned seven of them. Oh, really? I had a couple, but I don't remember. They were all different. Yeah. They were all different. And it was, I was like, you are the smartest damn band on the fucking planet because you just went through and... It may be almost the exact same set list, but it's different. Yeah. And so I wanted live in Rio. I wanted live in uh, Poland, maybe, or something weird, like all these different ones. And I'm like, it's the same song, but it's not. It was always right. my argument. I can spend another couple extra bucks on this one. See, I was, I remember getting them, and I don't know, maybe I'm just like that typical text. And I was like, I always just wanted the ones from like Dallas or wherever. Yeah, it was. yeah, yeah. And then people would be like, the the one in San Diego or whatever it was was like that's the best one, and now I'm like, well, sh- how do I know like which one's the best one? So because you got to buy them all. Oh, they were smart. Oh, they were good. They, that was a good one. I love good little genius hacks like that. It's oh, it's so good when people do things like that. Um, so I, I saw Jewel. Of course, she was at Rockfest too. But you know, she used to live in Stephenville, and she did like a pop up show or two. Uh, there and something that I thought was really cool about her, and there's a there's a term for it, and I forget what it's called, but apparently she doesn't like to do her song the same way every time, and so you know like um uh, like who will save your soul whatever she would like start adding like minors into it and shit and weird places really it sound awesome I'm sure it did and you're like it's almost like a Bob Dylan thing where you're singing it. You're she's singing it for like a minute or two before you finally realize, oh shit, like that's 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 a major song she had was like a major hit, and she just decided to not even do it where we're gonna sing along. You're gonna listen. First time I ever, cool. first time I ever heard Aaron Lewis acoustic. Yeah. He did Mud Shovel was the first song he came out with. Yeah, and that's a heavy stain right. song, and it was straight up almost like <laughs> three quarter time, Weird. and like. He's halfway into the song when I realized, <laughs> oh, shit, that's Mud Shovel. I'm like, that's cool. That's interesting. And, uh, yeah. Like I, he's doing a cover, a spin cover of his own stuff. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I like it I like it when, when you hear that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. Well, it gave me a lot more respect for, for Jewel. I'm um, sure. Yeah. She's a brilliant writer, dude. Brilliant. So I would bump into her. Not... Uh, she spoke to me a few times because, like, I saw her at Packing Mail and I held the door open and she said thanks. Um, another time, I thought we were at, I went to a yoga class one time and she was in it and you needed to partner up. And she, I thought, looked right at me. So I was like, oh my God, I'm going to partner up with Jill doing yoga. And then she goes, excuse me, and got someone behind me. <laughs> so, but she's spoken to me a couple times. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Jewel, for those that don't know, uber famous like yeah worldwide there's a parker mccullum song that sounds just like one of her songs too it starts exactly the same and i'm shocked nobody knows because most people don't remember jewel's stuff around here they listen to the texas music scene it's that yeah i can hear it in my mind i'm trying to think uh it's been a hell of a year and it's uh Woke up this morning, morning put my can- pancakes on. Yes. It's the same, it's the same song. Oh, dude. I never caught that. Good one. Good one. <laughs> okay. 
So cool, cool thing. Talking music. Uh, it's just random tangent here. So you talk about people doing songs differently than the way that you're used to hearing it. Matchbox 20. We just talked about them. First time I ever heard 3am off of storytellers on VH1. Have you ever seen? No. Okay. I'm going to do you a solid here. After we go off air, you need to watch the, in fact, we may do it as soon as we get done here. (laughs) Watch the VH1 video from storytellers in 98. When he does 3am, the way he wrote it, not the way it's recorded on the album you will understand that song completely different. Interesting. Like you watch it and you're like, the only version I want to hear is this version now because wow. it is a totally different, it's just him and the piano. And like, you really understand that what the heart of that song is. Cause you know, three of is baby. Yeah, yeah. It's real upbeat. Fa- I must be lonely. Uh-uh. When you hear it, the way he originally wrote it and the way the song was intended, huh. totally different vibe. And you will like, you understand some of those lyrics that don't necessarily make sense. Cause you know, in the nineties, they just said shit that didn't necessarily make sense all the time. Yeah. They just said like, well, have you watched the, like it's making pop songs or whatever on, mm-hmm. on Netflix and they had ABBA on there. I have not seen that yet, but I want it. Yeah. Dude. Okay. So they talk about all of the, there's like huge co-writes and producers coming out of Sweden now, almost like every year, uh, whatever the top 10 songs are, there's like four or five that have a Sweden tie. And it's because of ABBA all the way back in the day. Because ABBA and so, huge. But they came up with like this formula. And they were talking to them. And they go through the whole deal. Like all the pop songs in the end of the 90s. Like Backstreet when they're like, um, I, want I want it that way. Yeah. Nobody knows what they want that way. Tell me why. Tell them why about what. It doesn't matter. They cut all the bull crap out. And they just did the stuff that was catchy. That's why the 90s stuff. Yeah, it just, you know, in a weird way, you're like, did that begin ruining music? <laughs> and I hate to do that. Like, especially, you know, like T-Pain gets a bad pigeonhole for using the auto-tune and ruining music, quote-unquote. But you watch this and you realize I mean, they're artists, too, and they're trying to find... They're just find their niche. Trying to find it, you know. As much as I can say, yeah, 90s pop music did that, but at the same time, we had some... Damn good songwriters in the nineties. I know, but and there's still great songwriters now. There are tons. It goes tons. through this like there's the a, ebb and a flow. You've, yeah, and I hope that you're not on TikTok, but there's one like people have been playing the the song whenever chim chimney chim 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 chim. So the intro that's like there's a oh, winds are blowing, changes coming through. And I feel like it's happened before or whatever. And so these dudes are doing like all like how music's in a trend right now. And we're like, they want it to be like, we're fixing to have a shift and go back to the grunge stuff. And I'm like, let's do it. Uh, there for it. I did. I did realize 90 styling is coming back. I saw an ad for Doc Martens. No, my daughter asked for a pair. She's 15 for Docs. Yeah. Hell Yes. <laughs> Yeah, she wanted docs. I was like, wow. I bought my own pair when I was in high school. I worked at a dairy, and I bought them, and then I got them ruined by getting drugged behind a pickup truck by my girlfriend. (laughs) Still heartbroken. I would be, too. About the docs. Not about the girlfriend. (laughs) That was such a horrible line, and I'm leaving it in. (sighs) Anyway. There was, again, I told you we had a ton of stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about, no. I've enjoyed our conversation. I hope whoever's listening. I did. I I learned a lot. 
Um, so you've heard the show, so you kind of know how this goes. I talk, uh, off mic, off the record, the name of the show, off mic conversation, what we just had. We talked about the things that people always ask. What do you guys talk about when you're, you know, doing, yeah. listen to this podcast. You're going to find it exactly because all, none of this is scripted. I literally have 14 questions in front of me. We hit one. Really? One. Which one was it? Uh, obsession or passion. Okay. Uh, just randomly uh, do the, this and I'm going to tell you when to stop and I want to see. All right, stop. What's that question? How did you find peace during the pandemic? <laughs> See, aren't you glad I didn't ask that? Yeah. All right, go again. All right, stop. You marked that one out. Uh, that was the, is music a passion or obsession? Right. Oh, that's funny. All right, go. That's a little lower. How important is it to break out of a regional bubble? Oh, that's huge. You have to. I mean, I love my Steamboat guys, but how are you going to know what you have? Good answer. You know, good answer. But the rest of them. Yeah. They're good questions. They're good. (laughs) How many of those do you like have for each artist? You know, you're like, I think uh, I'm going to pretty much, I can go with this in case I come to a block in the. So I have three questions that are on this list that travel for every artist. Um, Passion or obsession travels. um, Peace during the pandemic travels. And then. Steps to growing from a novice garage or back porch picker band to a recording artist. I can't believe that's on there for me because I don't feel like I've gotten. That's why I didn't ask it to you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's Sorry, you opened the door on that one. No, I'm, I... not, I'm not where I'm, I want to go yet. But then if I don't get there, I'm not really going to be heartbroken over it. Have you recorded in the studio, sir? Yeah. Then you're a recording artist. Yeah, I get that. But, uh, you know, used to. I think if I would have tried this, because I'm at the age that, you know, I'm, I'm around Josh Abbott and Wade Bowen's age, you know, but I didn't do that. I didn't make the CD then and go and walk on campus and hand it out. That's how, you know, that's kind of those things worked back then. It's not all about the young man's game, sir. How long did Ray Wiley wait before he started writing well, his own? And that's why I'm trying to remember he's on a podcast with Joe Pug. Mm-hmm. Have you heard that podcast? I have not, but I need to. It's good. And so anyway, he's like in his forties and he scrapped albums that was, re- that were recorded. Don't, I don't want to release that. I would love Can to get my hand. He says they're terrible because they, the studios made him sound a certain way. Uh, I can understand that, but okay. Ray Wiley's pretty close to being one of those that I like everything he puts out. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, and he writes some of the most brilliant shit I've ever heard. But apparently some of them are songs he still does, but they were going to be like, you know, packaged. Mm, you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. So I think, you know, there's, there's probably a good reason. What's your favorite Ray Wally line? Well, I'm biased because he did my Christmas show last year mm-hmm. and he put my name in like three songs. Yeah. And so I was standing there like, I'm so mad. I missed your Christmas show last year, by the way. I'm, I'm sorry. You missed it too. You won't miss it this year. I should. Uh, <laughs> thankfully I have that week off now from yeah, work. So I should be able to make it. I'll make yeah. at least one or two nights. I won't you make the whole thing. Have, you should have some shirts by then or koozies or something. I'll stickers. Maybe it's almost the first of the year. We'll see. It, just give them to a couple of us. We'll wear it while we're playing. All right. Well, I'll find something. Anyway. At, the, at the at the point at which it's looking, I may have half of you guys on the show <laughs> by the time this rolls around. Well, we had 50 artists last year and didn't even dawn on me till the middle of the festival that 
that was one of the biggest festivals in the entire country. 50? We had 51 artists play last year. And somewhere, like Friday night or something, Jesse, who helps run the – he's yeah. like the – um, one of the grounds crews at LJT, he came and helped run it. Uh, you know, like it was cold, so he put up a tarp, you know, shit like that. He's like, Hey, Buck, do you realize this is like probably the second or third largest festival of the entire year in all the United States? And I was like, What? And he goes, Bonnaroo didn't happen, ACL didn't happen, uh, South by Southwest didn't happen. Terlingo didn't happen. Burning Amer- Man. Burning didn't. Man. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Tribeca like, didn't happen. Yeah. Holy shit. That is fucking crazy. And apparently we had a huge artist. I won't say on here, but I'll tell you here in a little bit. That was going to land a helicopter during Cody Canada's set. And I was not going to let that happen. Because at that time, Cody Canada was my biggest artist to play it. And I was like, no, they can wait. Or they can land somewhere else. And somebody can go get them. And then I was told who it was, and I might have should have let him land. But, but they heard about the festival, so that's pretty wild. And me. they fly a helicopter. Yeah, they're with a they're with someone that was flying them in a helicopter. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, they're a huge, huge person. My favorite uh, Ray Wiley quote: "Some get spiritual because they see the light; others because they feel the heat." Oh yeah, no. Uh, what song is that? Uh, uh, I'm not going to pull it out of my head. Yeah. It's because uh, I heard this thing. If you can't think of the right thing, say it's because you can't remember it in English because normally you're in Spanish. It makes you not sound like so such an idiot. Interesting. Because then it sounds like you're bilingual instead of just not remembering shit. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Um, that's conversation with the devil. Um, right. Also, I like... Um, the days I keep my expectations higher. What is it? The days I keep my gratitude higher than my expectations are some really good days. Yeah, he's got he he should just write a book probably, or he could do sonnets even. I think sonnets. Ray Wiley sonnets. Ray Wiley, I really hope you're listening to this because I do yeah. want you on the show one day. So whenever you're ready to do your book of sonnets, we can <laughs> release it on here. Tell me if that wouldn't go. That would be the, that's like, golden. People would buy that shit. I would be number one. <laughs> Second half of this show is off the record. And uh, off the record for me was all about hearing new music. And it's new music to me. It doesn't mean it's new music out to the world, out to the universe. It's something that's new to me. And the best places I ever found new music was in backroom sessions, campfire jams, house shows, whatever. Getting to hear an artist play me a song that's in the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the guitar case, back of the notebook, bottom drawer. So on that one that that stuck around and hasn't found a project, there may be full intention to find a project, but it just hasn't found a home yet. And I always ask the artist to close me out with that. What is your what is your um, hmm. what's your off the record tune? I've got a couple here, um, and it's funny. Two of these that I could do have like almost been on on releases. You're like, oh. And that's that's the beauty of like, well, why? it. Why? And I'm like, no, because I can do it better, you know? And so that's kind of a weird thing, but let's see if I can do. I think you'll really like this one. Um, right now I'm calling it Nashville. See, and here's one of those funny things. I've done it two different ways. 
So you got to decide which way to do it. Yeah, if I go into the studio, I think I'm going to do it this way. But the people that have heard it originally like it the other way, and I think I might do the original way that I wrote it for you for this because I'm not going to do it if I do it in the studio. So that'll be Let's do it that way. Because it's special. And the only way they can hear it is on here. That's right. Took a job in the city Turn your hobbies into gold And she want me to come stay there But the streets, they feel so cold Swears all the art and culture Highway on the highway drone But I can never live in Dallas, baby Can't call Dallas home I got a lot of friends in Austin They swear it's the place to be And I love the hills and music But those buildings couldn't find me Despite all of its good people I just need a place alone Cause I can never live in Austin, baby Can't call Austin home Can't call Austin Well, just might be wrong And stubborn as a mule But I'll lie in green pastures Will they label me a fool? Fool, fool And I could have gone to Nashville Writing songs and seeking fame But their voices are too perfect And I've got too old a face but Those Music City dreamers That's a passion that I know But I can never live in Nashville Baby, can't come Nashville home. Can't come Nashville Thank you.
Yeah, I did that a lot. I did that a lot. I don't know. That's super. Oh, it's it's good, man. Thank you. All right. You, yeah, you got me. The scripture's talking about the the big the building. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I get it. One hundred percent. I agree. I love it there, but I just can't. I can never live in it. I, yeah. I same way. I can't. I can't. A town about bigger than this is. Stephenville is about as big of a town as I could live in, and I don't even know that I could live in Stephenville. Yeah, it has its moments. You're like, uh, when college comes back, there's a lot of damn people. Yeah, that's now. Unfortunately, I live in one of the fastest growing towns in the state of Texas right now, so yeah, it's a little nerve wracking. But I'm a small town guy. You can't tell, like the way I came in, it was all through the country. It was perfect. Yeah, it's. But when I drive out to what used to be Dairyland, and it's hundred home edition, hundred home edition, mm-hmm. gated community, I'm just like. Hey. All that urban sprawls coming this way. It has to. The toll road brought it this way. Yeah. Uh, Buckfuffalo.com. We, right. can, we can find you on all the uh, the Apples, the Spotify's, the Googles, your music on there. Social media is Buckfuffalo. Uh, go check him out. He hosts the uh, singer-songwriter uh, series that they do at LJT every year. Also, uh, don't forget the Christmas. And you told me you just went uh, 503C on the... Yeah. Yeah, we're a nonprofit organization. Nonprofit uh, for the Christmas thing. So... When I say this, this Christmas thing, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's, it's a concert, it's a comedy. It benefits a lot of people. Yeah. We raise money for foster home kids. And that is, so hats off to you, sir. That's important. We've raised over $10,000 in the years that we've done this and we're just hoping we can keep going and growing. It's going to keep growing. You guys have a very special thing going on down there. And I want to tell you, man, thank you so much for doing this with me. Heck uh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> learned I learned a lot from you. We didn't even get into we didn't even get into Shell Silverstein tattoos. <laughs> we'll, be for, we'll save that for the next episode. So everyone's gonna go. What the hell are y'all talking about? Yeah. Shell Silverstein tattoos. It's coming, people. <laughs> and um, I think until next time, yes, sir. Let's do it. Adios. Off mic, off the record is a blacktop poetry production. For more insight into your favorite independent artists and all things behind the scenes and in between, visit blacktoppoetry.com. Our theme is provided by Austin Upchurch. Go check him out at austinupchurch.com. I'm your host, Aaron Bentley. And if you made it this far, you're either really bored or you fell asleep. Either way, thank you for your support, and I'll catch you next time. Adios. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna-